Welcome to the Monitor Daily Podcast. It's Tuesday, February 20th. Thanks for joining us. I'm Clay Collins. And I'm Ira Porter. What goes into deciding whether another person is deserving of life? Certainly a lot of trust that a criminal system can keep capital punishment from ever being erroneously applied. Like many political issues, the death penalty mostly sets up as a debate with party-line predictability. Stephen Humphreys, a Monitor culture writer, and Riley Robinson, a staff photographer with a gift for portraiture, went to Oklahoma, long the state with the highest per capita rate of execution. It was an emotional trip. What they found was a tough-on-crime state pausing for a thought shift, not away from accountability, but toward more restorative approaches to ensuring it. Stephen's story today is about an openness to transformation. For our selection of top news briefs from the wire services today, please go to csmonitor.com daily. Now, today's Monitor Stories. First up is Stephen's report. Only five states executed people last year. Oklahoma was one of them. And some GOP state lawmakers worry they cannot trust their system to get it right. Outside the Oklahoma State Penitentiary in McAllister, Alan Knight awaits news of whether his friend Philip Hancock will be spared the death penalty. The execution is running behind schedule. To date, the governor has only stayed one execution. Mr. Knight has known Mr. Hancock since childhood and has found himself interrogating his own position about capital punishment. It's a difficult thing because I've always been in favor of the death penalty, says the truck driver. But it makes me think like, you know, if there's any chance of getting something wrong, maybe we should just stop and think about it a little bit longer. There are a number of conservatives in Oklahoma feeling like the state needs to stop and think. Oklahoma has led the United States for the highest per capita rate of executions since 1976. There's strong residual support for capital punishment here in the buckle of the Bible Belt. Last year, it was one of just five states to execute people. But trust in the system has been shaken. 34 Oklahoma lawmakers, including 28 Republicans, wrote to the governor in 2021 asking him to re-examine the case of Richard Glossop. Last May, Oklahoma's Attorney General took the unprecedented step of filing a brief to the U.S. Supreme Court, asking the justices to halt his execution. In a rare move, the justices took his case. Also last year, Oklahoman Glenn Simmons became a free man after spending 48 years in prison. It was the longest wrongful imprisonment in U.S. history. Now some Oklahomans are asking themselves, can we trust that innocent people aren't being put to death? This story was reported by Stephen Humphreys and Riley Robinson in Oklahoma for The Monitor. Poland's new government wants to clean up the excesses of its populist predecessor, but do so too quickly, and it risks falling into the same patterns that caused the former government to violate public trust in the first place. Poland's parliamentary elections last year left the country bitterly divided. The ousted Law and Justice Party still has loyalists throughout the Polish judiciary and media, 
and retains the support of millions of Poles. The sweeping changes that new Prime Minister Donald Tusk wants to make, including so far the dissolution and reincorporation of state media and dismissal of the national prosecutor, have already been branded as undemocratic by law and justice. How does one restore democracy in such a polarized environment? As Democrats around the world struggle with governments flirting with authoritarianism, Poland's way forward will be watched closely. Ultimately, say sociologists, the new government needs to restore the trust that people have in government and each other. It's a tall order for the country that ranks second lowest in the European Union for public trust in government, according to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Politically, the most important thing right now is to close this gap between opposing parties because more and more we have an existential threat within the next few years between us, says sociologist Jakub Wignanski. You need virtues. You need trust. That's the basic glue of the democratic system, especially in insecure times. This story was reported by Lenora Chu in Warsaw, Poland for The Monitor. India is often at the front lines of climate change, but one of the largest natural threats to public safety gets the least attention. Why is progress on lightning safety so slow? Lightning claims roughly 3,000 lives every year in India, more than any other weather event. Activists and scientists have been sounding the alarm over this oft-ignored hazard, which is expected to increase due to climate change, but sustained progress has proved challenging. India's meteorological department only began forecasting lightning in 2019, and federal agencies still don't classify it the same as earthquakes, cyclones, and other natural disasters, limiting funds for mitigation. Though early warning systems are now in place, lightning alerts often don't reach the most vulnerable people in time. When they do, many don't know how to protect themselves. The good news is that injuries and deaths from lightning are almost always avoidable. Hundreds can be saved by getting across a simple message. Avoid trees during storms. Spreading that message, the last mile, can involve low-tech solutions such as scribbling lightning warnings on blackboards and village squares or making sure safety information is available in local languages. Lightning safety activist Sandre Shrivastava says the government must also involve village councils in disaster management. The biggest challenge is lack of public awareness, he says. Individual districts so change is possible. With the help of a door-to-door awareness campaign, the city of Balasore in Odisha state was able to reduce annual deaths from about 35 to 3. This story was reported by Sashmita Patu in Delhi for the Monitor. The novels of Black writers don't often receive the attention they deserve, except during Black History Month. This February brings five debut novels worth reading, now or any month. Great books can change lives. They have changed mine. My favorite authors include writers of every hue, but what baffles me is that the work of Black writers seems to get highlighted only during Black History Month. Great prose is for every reader, and the celebration of it should not be limited to the month of February. As a Black writer, I also feel a duty to highlight the work of other Black writers. With that in mind, 
Here are five fiction debuts worth reading during Black History Month and in any other month. The novels explore themes from rebellion and justice to civil rights and reparations. The five are Rajiana Rashad's The Blueprint, Jamal Mayfield's Smoke Kings, Diane Oliver's Neighbors and Other Stories, Mara Cheek's Acts of Forgiveness, and Karen Outen's Dixon Descending. This story was reported by me, I reporter for The Monitor. Now, commentary from The Monitor's editorial board on tapping ingenuity in rural farmers. For decades, one of the world's lesser-known food agencies, the International Fund for Agricultural Development, IFAD, provided grants and loans to small-scale rural farmers who grew mainly three grains, wheat, rice, and maize. Then, as climate change forced a need for more innovation in farming, the fund realized it must listen to all farmers, especially indigenous ones. Today, it supports underutilized grains, such as barnyard millet, foxtail millet, finger millet, and little millet, many of which can survive extreme weather. The great shift in thinking was that ingenuity may lie far behind the lab scientists devising new species of crops. It is freely found among those small farmers who till less than 25 acres and produce one-third of the world's food. Last week, at a global meeting of IFAD in Rome, the focus was on how innovation anywhere can help create a food-secure future. Many innovations are developed in collaboration with the people we work with on the ground, said the fund's president, Alvaro Lario. Agri-entrepreneurs in developing countries are some of the most innovative and dynamic entrepreneurs in the world. We don't bring innovations to them, they bring innovations to us. That's a wrap for the news. You can find the full-length versions of these stories in today's issue or at csmonitor.com daily. For more Monitor audio, including our serial podcasts, go to csmonitor.com podcasts. We're grateful for your readership. Come back tomorrow for another look at trust. It has plummeted in recent years between the United States and China. And Scott Tyson traces the causes and effects and explores what the way forward might be. Today's Christian Science Spiritual Perspective contributor shares how each of us is divinely equipped to take on difficulties with confidence, strength, and calm. You can find the column in today's issue or at csmonitor.com daily. We want to give a quick thanks to our staff, including today's audio production team, Jeff Curtin, Timothy Malone, and Caitlin Babcock. This podcast is produced by the Christian Science Monitor in Boston, Massachusetts, USA. Copyright 2024.